0: Epsom salt. What's up? Oh, wow. That was quick. Epsom Epsom salt. salt. Go for it. Tell me. You know how I love magnesium? You know, I I do. You know, I like to spritz it on at night. Oh, yeah, that's right. True. Spritz. Still do. We talked about that one time. Yeah, that's Um, good. Another way that I get my magnesium is Epsom salt. Did you know Epsom salt Mm -hmm. is magnesium? I did not. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in the day in sports in high school, I used to soak in it all the time. I didn't know why it was so good, but it's magnesium. So, it has a calming effect. It actually helps with, with minor injuries. But um, it's part of my brand new bed bedtime routine. So, I take a bath every night with some Epsom salt. It's
1: money. What What impact have you seen in your sleeping behaviors now that you're doing this? My deep I my deep sleep has increased many fold. And, do you, do, and it, it definitely makes you feel better in the day.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Do you drink it? I actually do drink magnesium as well. I don't drink Epsom salt. No, I mean the Epsom salt. No. How do you apply it? I'll tell you about that in another shtick.
1: Oh. Oh. Okay. That's a hook for the next shtick. A hook one. This is our experiment in conversation. Uh, We know everyone has a story that can help us learn from one another. We bring people into the safe space that we've learned to create so we can learn about their stories and get into difficult topics that challenge us in both conversation and in how we think. And having so many conversations, we're seeing a lot of similar threads weave
0: through in and around all of them. So what we're doing is we're breaking down the conversations in order to create a set of tools and a map for you to help you be a conversation boss. So that you may become a catalyst for connection in your day-to-day life.
1: Now we got to remind you to go to our website, www.moreincommonpod.com. Don't forget the pod. And we have to thank you for joining us in this journey. Uh, Whether you just like hearing our amazing guests' stories or want to understand better how to navigate difficult conversations, or both, uh, we love having you. And certainly, your friends and family are always invited to the party. So if you think your friends and family could benefit from listening, invite invite them along so before we get into this week's intro
0: uh, we just had a episode with Kim Cavallo yes we did and
1: uh, what, what did you what did you take out of that Keith? I think for me like you know how she manages the visceral reaction to difficult conversations by doing it with connection she really aims at connecting with people I just think it's a it's a, you know something she learned right from from her mother and and being able to put that into practice is I think something that I certainly can continue to try to be better at, better at, and and with Lil Space her app, just the power (laughs) of community. I know you laugh at me every time I say it. The power of community and the intention to disconnect. So, you know, creating a different way of thinking about disconnecting from our digital devices by, by, by thinking about other people as well as your own self. I just think it's a, a, a brilliant. An ingenious concept, mm-hmm. and and I just it love is. it, and I love being a part of it. How about yeah. you, man? So, I don't often prepare for these, but uh, uh, this hit
0: me so hard, I wrote it down weeks ago. Uh, how hard it is for white people to say Lil. Like, <laughs> even Kim, I, I don't think it made the episode, I think we cut it, but like, there was a time where she said it. She's like, no, like, Lil? No, it's like, Lil. Like, it is really hard for people, to, white people, to say L I L. It's hard for so, me. Yeah, that, every time. That's, that sticks out for me. Uh, but no, the community and, and even having the conversation with her about creating an app for your phone to help you get off your phone. Like she, mm. she recognizes the irony and also the need in that. And there was a point in the conversation where you said something about. Uh, we, so we were talking about apps that manage your use of the phone. And Kim, for very intentional reasons, decided that her app would not be one of those, partially because there's a lot of other apps that can do it. And, and you mentioned something about handing that over to an app, like instead of using our willpower. And I was thinking about that and I was like, well, you know, it's kind of like, for at least for me, it's kind of like using, like I use a guided meditation app. It kind of goes against the idea of meditation. Like you should just be able to sit down and meditate, but I'm getting my brain used to the idea of sitting quietly, comfortably focusing on my breathing. And I need that audio reminder to go back to it. And for me on a phone, like I use the Apple screen time app to lock me out of apps and it's Mm. somewhat childish, I guess. But at the same time, like I need that reminder
1: because I've had days where I spent three hours on Facebook for no apparent reason yeah i mean the digital the addiction is a, is a real thing and i think um there's sometimes you you need a little bit more to to get out of get out of your space than just yeah. willpower right yeah um kim's just
0: she's good people it's good like, people she's good people so uh yeah um who do we got today
1: who do we got today we have Jansen Jan Jansen in his words is born and half raised in Montreal and then later moved to Toronto suburbs as a young teenager and and I quote it's through all of my experiences up until this point that I have made me realize many things um, one of which is that the message which we as black community people have been washing our minds with have a false origin which is perpetuated through various systemic mediums to keep us boxed in unaware and blind. And it's only by knowing and loving oneself as well as our true history, can we work towards a better future for our people and broader society in which we live as a whole? This statement can be applied to anyone in this matter. Um, but of course, I have to quote it because, you know, you know this is keep talking. Um, so, <laughs> our people, what do you mean our <laughs> and, But it's with all this, he created the Wise Men Collective. He wants to be a person of action uh, to bring positivity, awareness, education, support, and love to, to black people and to his brothers, sisters, and other future members of the of the collective to be part of the journey with him um, while making a positive impact within the communities they serve. Ultimately, his aim is f- to have control of our own narrative as people through displays of action that will motivate people to do the same. So with that, what did we talk about, Rodney?
0: Well, we get into the Wise Man Collective, Black Cultural Representation, interracial marriage, growing up in Montreal uh, as a first-generation Jamaican, meritocracy, cultural appropriation, optimism, pessimism, realism, growing
1: up without a father, and that being an inspiration for wise men. Yeah, we talked about a lot of stuff, man. It was was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation, as always. So we really hope you enjoy it and, um, yeah, kick back.
2: When people only have your merit to judge you upon, just be real, man. Just be yourself, and people will accept you for yourself. (laughs) But it's not going to be 100% perfect. It's not. It's not going to be you know uh, something that everyone could do. But you have to try to think of things objectively in order for yourself to put you you know to relate and to uh, hopefully come to some sort of common commonality with the person across from you otherwise if you stay in your subjective stance all you're doing is holding on to the same
1: baggage that you've accumulated over the years of your life welcome to or welcome back to more in common um today we're with jansen uh jansen thank you for joining us welcome to the show hey it's my pleasure man thanks for the invite it's been looking. Saying, yeah, it's long overdue, right? <laughs> it's been, a, it's it really been a minute. It's been a long time. Um, so, thank you for joining us. One of the things that I was hoping to to really really get some further information on, because I know it's not an official organization, but but this this wise men group that you have established. Obviously, you're based in Toronto, um, but really want to really want to learn a little bit more about that, especially for our audience, and, and kind of kick it off from there.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, so WMC stands for Wise Men Collective and, uh, it's, it's exactly as it sounds. It's a collective of, of wise men, um, looking to, you know, uh, invoke positive change, um, you know, make a positive impact, um, within their, their own circle and the, uh, greater community in which, in which they interact with, right. Um, A lot of what we do or the work that we do is in underprivileged area areas so you know the downtown core um some of the boroughs like scarborough which is um considered to be toronto but uh, just outside of the core um about 15 20 minutes east uh, of downtown toronto and not every single member lives you know in toronto per se we we live all around the what's called the GTA so the greater Toronto area um so you could somebody could be living you know an hour west from Toronto from the middle of it somebody could be living an hour east but uh, we recognize Toronto as home and we recognize our you know our duty to uh to rise up and uh for the greater good and to help uh people around us and and those who are less fortunate for sure um, I would say that the main focus is to, um, build up our black community, um, demonstrate positive optics or imagery of what it is to be a young black male, um, and a, uh, contributing participant, um, in the greater social structure, um, in which we interact with. So that's, that's essentially, you know, the WMC, um, group. I'm proud to be the the founder um, of the group, and I'm, I'm even more prouder that uh, the rest of my closest uh, brethren, as we call them, um, you know, stepped up. Yeah, stepped up to to be a part of it. It's it's truly a brotherhood within within the organization in which we operate.
1: Um, Rodney talked about this recently, regarding uh, the day we I was out visiting him in LA, and we were driving around, and we saw. To to black dads walking with their daughters, walking their kids yeah. down mm-hmm. the street, all by themselves, right? And it's like I want to. <laughs> I want to flag that moment. Like I want to. I want to note it. Yeah. it as a, as a point. Now, the fact that we have to do that, or that he did that, is obviously a testament to the negative portrayal that is in society, especially around black dads.
2: This is what Wiseman is about. Wiseman, Wiseman is to inspire individuals what i'm not not to say like rodney because rodney's uh, not the right example Wiseman was created no because here's the thing when you said that you recognize those black fathers you know with their with their children um walking their daughters and and so on and so forth that is the inspiration that i want that i wanted to um bring out in young black boys who again didn 't grow up with their dad who th- who think or may, who may have thought that being a black male means that you don 't take care of your kids but you have multiple baby moms you, you know you don 't have any type of responsibility. I wanted to be the black male with my black wife and my black children with wedding bands on her finger, my wife having you know a, a ring that 's up to standard or up to par with any other ring that a, a Let's say a white woman would have or would be able to afford my my children look proper. so basically the the whole you know a house with the white picket fence and the dog and all that stuff that is an image that should be interchangeable between a white family and a black family. but right now that's not the reality that we're in. right now we're the images the suburbs are you know, the clean uh, you know lily white suburbs for the white suburban family and the inner city slum and the dirt and all that stuff are for the black family and that's that's not the truth that is not the truth at all prosperity is for everybody right so i'm trying what what i'm trying to do with my own action because i'm a person of action not of words is to correct that by simple imagery by me being myself and me going out there in the world holding my wife's hand holding my children, you know, I, I do my daughter's hair. I dress my kids and honor us. I cook for my family. These are all stuff that go against the typical idea of what a black man is, right? That I seek to correct. I want to go through that phase of correction now to hopefully be able to pull and draw, you know, through osmosis or through active interaction with, with the community and other young black males to draw them to this type of standard of what it is to be a black male so that they could then make it their own and then continue on, you know, that that, that road of prosperity for themselves. It's not going to happen for everybody, but
0: what's your take on interracial relationships as a guy, as a black man married to a white woman, I have to yeah. ask that. And I, and I have to preface it with saying, I understand the importance of having a help, having a portrayal of healthy uh, black relationships,
2: mm-hmm. especially Cause now, it's not
0: portrayed exactly. Yeah, it's not something that exists. But what's your take on it?
2: So my my take is, and I've I've been asked this question before. My take is this: if you don't genuinely love the person for who they are first, and are able to love the culture in which they stem from second, then it shouldn't, be, it, should, it shouldn't be a relationship, right? And where I come from is this. If you look at the black and white relationship, it's not uncommon for, for example, white women to want to date black men just based on the sexual allure of a black man or vice versa. A black man wanted to deal with a white woman based on a sexual allure. Do they actually like or love the person? The answer is no right we're just talking about a physical attraction and this overhype but you know what i'm saying it's like you the the relationships that uh, particularly black and whites have when it comes to interracial isn't for the right reasons not in all cases but in a lot of cases they are and i've ex- i've experienced that my own self okay so i'm talking anecdotally too but what i firmly believe is and I see this like even members of the wise men and some of my really good friends they're they're married to white women or um, Asian women or um, Middle Eastern women that's the reality of the, of the situation but when I talk to those people and when I meet with their families they tend to love my brethren for who he is right for being a, a respectful intelligent male right. Intelligent, devoted, uh, trustworthy—you um, know—male, like the good qualities of a human being. The fact that he's black just adds a layer, another layer to it. That they sh- that everybody in that in that part should be proud of, particularly the children. So, to me, if you're not willing to love the person again for who they are, and also love and respect their culture, I'm, I'm against the interracial da- uh, dating. As an extension or interracial mixing in any degree, as an extension of that, if you're not willing to teach the cultures of both sides to your children and have them learn and grow up to be biracial and say, you're half this part, you're half this part, and these great parts, equal this other greater part which is you now and you have to carry that as an individual then i don't agree i don't agree with that as, at all as well because i think it's unfair that and to me this seems to be like some slavery rule that if you have one drop of black in you, you're black no that it doesn't work that way the one drop the rule. one drop rules is utter foolishness right and you'll have black people say well you know black Gene is a dominant gene. Okay, so on that argument, how far back are we going to go? Like, if somebody's grandfather is black, are they still black? If somebody's great grandfather is black, are they still black? What? What? It, where does it? Where does the argument stop? Right. Tom, so Thomas Jefferson. I, 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 you, to me, to me, is other foolish and and so if you if you have a child from two different cultures, and guess what, the cultures could still be black. I could go and have a child with a, a Ghanaian person, an African person. Am I just going to teach my child you're Jamaican or you're West Indian? No, right. I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach my child. Hey, you're West Indian, you're quarter Jamaican, quarter Bayesian, you're half Ghanaian. These are the parts that make you be proud of your culture. Go out in the world and be proud and represent that, and be the best it's, that you could be.
1: What you just said there, I think, is fascinating. Because um, you talk about black, but then as it relates to your heritage, it's Jamaican, it's Bayesian, it's be proud, and this is very much the the privilege of white. Is we don't I don't want to talk about white, right? Like my, I'm not white heritage. My heritage is French Canadian. My heritage is part Irish or part this or part that, mm-hmm. and we as white people are often very proud of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever my wife is you know half italian She's very proud of her italian lineage mm-hmm. that should be the same thing to what you're saying like be proud of your lineage yeah uh, you know. well
0: and it's and and that becomes a very confusing thing for me specifically because yeah. i don't know mine
1: now how many people in the collective right now so yeah so
2: if i could take a step back so originally when we had the wise men, it was three of us back in high school. So there's my two the of my best friends. Yeah. Two sense. of my best friends. In fact the, the name wise men um was brought up by my, my one of my best friends, Brian. Uh we called him Bugs A Killer or Killer for short. And he's like, Yo, it's always the trio we are par pardon my, or don't pardon, but I'll, I'll break out a little bit of West Indian lingo for you. But he's like, yeah, it's always the tree we that touch road, that's paring, blah, 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 blah. It's like, yo, yeah, we're like the tree of Wiseman, brethren. Right? And, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you know, I could roll with that. I could roll with that. Um, and that's essentially how Wiseman came about. It was me, Brian, my next boy, Sean, uh, who we call Jiggy or or Cairo for, uh, as another pseudonym. And he had myself I took that, um, we went into the entertainment side of things, so we were DJs, um, I started doing some promotion under Wiseman Entertainment um, in college, or actually in our senior year of university, going into college, um, and then there was a little bit of a quiet period after that, and I was just looking at, you know, the the entrepreneurial, um, you know, uh uh, wave of people just coming up with their own brands and, and their own ideas. And I said to myself, I'm like, here I am, you know, spending money buying Nike or buying, you know, new era sport team apparel and so on and so forth. So I'm basically investing in all these other companies and investing in their brand when I had my own, right? I had my own, my boys had our own. Um, and I just decided to, to materialize it and make it real. So, Um, I went, created the emblem and I said, well, I don't want to do the promotion thing anymore or the, the music thing necessarily. I wanted to have, you know, I was at a point in my life where I want to make more of an impact in society. So that's where the whole Wiseman collective idea came from. Um, and, uh, that is a conglomerate of my high school boys and my university boys. So long way of answering your question guys um, when you 're looking at total numbers there's probably about fifteen or sixteen of us right now um, and uh, yeah all all different individuals different backgrounds a lot in common definitely I mean the common denominator we're all black males, but um, you know we're more complex than that when you look at us you know individually um, and we bring unique thoughts, unique ideas we're we're in a chat and there's a lot of great conversation a lot of great debates that happen um that borderline arguments but at the end of the day we're all brothers and you know once we once we have a cool off period we come back and we we uh you know we talk about something foolish to to uh you know smooth things over and then carry on with life
0: you're wearing a shirt right now yeah so um, you, have some, you have some swag some gear I
2: do have some gear if you guys could see this emblem this is the original emblem that I uh, that I created, slapped on a shirt, you, did you
0: design that your, yourself yep,
2: yep, um, everything is you know organic, homegrown, whatever you want to call it, um, the original emblem, so this is supposed to be a crown or it is a crown, right to represent w. um you know the the royalty and the lineage of of the black man or black people in general i don 't want to discount our our women. some people may ask me about that, um, we understand that we come from women, so the Black Queen is paramount, almost top in in the hierarchy of things, right? Um, the So the top is a W. The bottom is the M together to make the crown. The dots, I was just playing around with it. I mean, um, as much as some people may say, you know, I'm a serious guy or whatnot, I love to have fun. I got a, a wild sense of humor. I love anime. I love I love Dragon Ball Z. Right. So a little bit of inspiration came from, from, you know, that having the, the dragon balls sitting on top, um, and also representing, um, three wise men in a sense very loosely, right. Very loosely, uh, representing that. Um, and if I could just show you real quick, um, this is the new version of the logo. So essentially the same thing. I just brought the dots in the middle. Uh, in the actual w itself
0: so uh, 15 black men from the outside it's like oh they're all black exactly, exactly. be exactly they must look alike they must be alike yeah. but we all like we three sitting here know that <clears throat> black folk are not a monolith mm-hmm. and you alluded to several times in that you're a west indian uh heritage mm-hmm. what um is, does everybody share that as well or are there many different heritage? heritages in the group
2: yeah, there's there's many different um I mean even myself if you break down my heritage. I'm I'm half no, I'm Canadian, to be quite clear. I'm I'm born in this country. I'm actually originally from Montreal. I'm born in Montreal, I moved to Pickering, which is a suburb. Um, my mother's side is Jamaican, my father's side is Bayesian. Um, but I was raised by my Jamaican grandparents. So a lot of the influence that I have growing up is from the jamaican perspective um and the the stance that i have or or the way that i grew up in this world is that of a i guess you could say like a first generation canadian um that has that jamaican influence in canada right so there's a lot of navigation through that that i had to do growing up when you look at the some of my other friends um very similar backgrounds they're they're Jamaican. Um, I grew up with others that are Trini or Guyanese um, or other Bayesians as well, um, predominantly. There are other islands that do make up the West Indies, um, but those are the core of the friends that I've had. Um, when you look at other members now that have come later on in my life, you know, in university, um, that's when I started touching on individuals from Ghana, from Nigeria. Um, Tanzania uh, Kenya Ethiopia um, and started getting that exposure and I would say that you know that's one of many of the turning points of my life in understanding you know who I was as a as a black person who I was not just as a West Indian but also as a descent of these African nations um, and uh, learning to have pride in that, um, and, and making that, that connection, um, you know, looking at my African brothers as essentially, you know, my forefathers, right? These are the people who, you know, who we, 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 we stem from, um, and, and try to build that bridge.
1: Uh, you said navigating being a first generation Jamaican in Canada or in Montreal. Mm-hmm. What let's let's dig into that a little. What is that what do you mean by that? What type of navigation was that for you yeah. as a kid?
2: Yeah, so first first generation Canadian, yeah. First generation Canadian. Um is that not what I said? Well you said first generation Jamaican. Oh um, yeah.
1: my bad. <laughs> I meant Canadian. Yeah. yeah.
2: So <laughs> the reason the reason why I, I make a clear distinction on that and and an emphasis is because even growing up, if you saw another black person, like, yo, yo, bread, where you're from? And you're like, oh, I'm from Jamaica. We're not from Jamaica, right? We're from Canada. It just happens that our parents are Jamaican or West Indian. But the, growing up, everybody just wanted to have that association, that attachment to Jamaica because of its influence, that you even have people who are not Jamaican claiming that they're Jamaican, Right. Or speaking patois and, and having that Jamaican slang and it's not it 's not to take it as a disnecessarily or you know to say a, a certain person's fraud. The way I look at it is you have to be proud that we are so influential uh, and that we have that type of impact on people that they want to be like us, they want to emulate us right um, even when it gets into into American hip hop, a lot of people don 't even realize that West Indian people created hip hop. They founded hip hop. If you look at the forefathers of hip hop, they're all Caribbean individuals. DJ DJ Kuhirk, um, African Bambada, and um, there's a third that's slipping my mind right now. Um, he'll come back to me. But these these individuals are, you know, you got a couple Jamaicans and a Asian in there, an individual from Barbados. So we we are very influential people. The West Indies as a whole is very influential. Uh, So I get that piece, but navigating that when I was growing up, um, you know, again, looking about self, I always used to say, yeah, I'm Jamaican, I'm Jamaican, I'm Jamaican. But when you go to Jamaica and you read, you meet a Jamaican, it's not the same. they are
0: like, you're not Jamaican, bro.
2: Exactly. The the Jamaican will tell you you're not Jamaican. You're a Canadian, right? Right off. They they, they even know by the way you.
0: Even if you speak, patois, like they could tell the accent. First of
2: all, even if I'm speak, I, I could try to speak you know the the most perfect or fluent patois possible from myself right um you know if i'm down there and, and and i feel climatized if you will um i could try to speak it as best as possible they'll still know i'm not from there there'll be some word that i'm not pronouncing right or just mm-hmm. the alliteration or the, the sorry not the alliteration the the uh Cadence, pronunciation, the cadence, yeah, the cadence in which I'd say something or just a phrase that is not the way Jamaicans say it, right? Um, that just doesn't line up, right?
0: That's a common experience from first generationers that are living elsewhere that go back to I've heard it from my Jewish friends, I've heard it from mm-hmm. like Armenian friends all over. Yeah, is it is it looked down upon like because some 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 backgrounds they're like, mm, you're you're American. You're not really. You're not really connected to us at all. Yeah. In Jamaica, what's the what's the the look at the Canadian Canadian Jamaican? Well,
2: again, I would say it's a little bit of the same. Um, a Jamaican will tell will essentially put uh, a Canadian Canadian Jamaican in their place to say you're you're not a true Jamaican, but. Even when I'm down there, they will still they will still recognize that we are descent of. So there is that that form of respect. But again, if you try to cross that line and start acting like one of them, or or thinking that you come from the same place as they do, they will be quick to correct you. Right.
0: So is that what is that like? What or what's your take on cultural appropriation? Like, what? How do you feel about it? And then I feel like that. What you just said kind of seems like the heart of it, but what do you, what do you think about it? Hey,
2: before before we before we get into that, I want to go back. I, yeah. I forgot the name of one of the founding fathers, and I think it's important to recognize this because I want people to look it up for themselves. Grandmaster yeah. Flash was the third forefather. So you have oh, DJ, oh
0: Grandmaster Flash, maybe like, yeah, yeah. DJ,
2: where's he from? Barbados. DJ Kool African Bombada, and Grandmaster Flash. Yeah, I Two two Jamaicans and a Bayesian that are the the the, the known and recognized uh, uh, founding fathers of hip hop. So this, you know, recognize recognize uh, the Caribbean contribution to that.
0: So did the so so did the the African American appropriate hip hop from the west indies
2: no i would say it was a melting pot right it was all organic because these guys lived in new york right they lived in the bronx and 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 other parts yeah yeah. so
0: they were they were bringing their culture to exactly
2: i mean it's no it's no different than than saying like toronto hip-hop right now is toronto hip-hop an appropriate an appropriation of caribbean culture no it's it's caribbeans that live in toronto we just we developed our own slang and our own music you know what i mean. And in that music, you'll hear some Jamaican terminologies out of, you know coming out of it. Doesn't mean that it's appropriation. Um, to me, if you, if you don't come from the culture, you don't have any association with it, and you're using that for your own gain and you're, you're monetizing on it, you're appropriate. You're just stealing shit. Bottom line, right? But for me, I have a right, if I wanted to come up with a reggae song... I have a right to come up with a reggae song because nobody from ta- the culture. Exactly. I grew up in a Jamaican household. I grew up on the food. I listened to the music. That is my being, it is my bloodline. I could go back to Jamaica and show you where my family's from, right? That is my bloodline. Same if I want to do soca. <laughs> like, I have that privilege, right? Uh, Charlemagne the God, he talks about black privilege, right? I have my own privilege as a black person, as a West Indian, that I could flip between a reggae song and a soca song because guess what? I'm Jamaican and I'm Bayesian too, right? And I have a very good relationship with my Bayesian side, even though, um, you know, I'm estranged with my father, but I'm very close to my aunties. I was just texting my, my cousin, my aunt's, uh, son, because it was his birthday a few, a few days ago. so. I have that relationship I'm in tune with that culture as well to a certain degree but if I was just some person from some Scandinavian country and all of a sudden I just started hopping on this new wave this reggae wave or this soca wave and started making music and and trying to talk the language and and uh, portraying myself as something that I'm not then you're gonna get called out for that man that's that's straight up that's straight up Elvis. That's straight up Elvis Presley. <laughs> you know
1: what I mean? Do you? Yeah. Do you draw the line at monetization? So what I mean by that, if if I decided to move to Jamaica, mm-hmm. ten years later, I've got, I've been accepted by a swath of native Jamaicans, and now I am part of that culture as a result of being invited in, mm-hmm. versus just walking around in america with you know dreads and and I decide to flip an accent and do it that like how how do you draw that line cuz there is something to be said about being welcomed into mm-hmm. but then there's the other side of it stealing from right so i mean, right. I mean that's kind of i'm curious so uh,
2: so so again you know I don't think there's necessarily going to be a perfect answer because i'm giving you my my opinion yeah. and i'm trying you know i try Probably to give more. my opinions as it's, it's it's well it's going to be an oxymoron this contradictory but i try to give my opinion from a most objective stance as possible right but the way that i view it is if you were caucasian and you lived in jamaica you hung out with the people. The people embraced you, accepted you. You know you're you were in tune with the customs. And so, on. hey, you know what? If if you felt compelled to come up with a song, and you wanted to pay homage to that, who am I, Who am I to say, hey, you're, it's not your right, right? Who am I to say that? You have people vetting you. Right and and hopefully there right. would be people vetting you and saying, no, this guy's legit. Like he's been with us, he's broke bread with us, blah blah blah. He's he's helped build our community. Like if you're that type of person to to do that, and those are the most important pieces, right? Are you mm-hmm. are you building the community in which you live, mm-hmm. or are you just a yeah. person again that's extracting?
0: What are you doing with that monetization?
2: Exactly, just like any other European country that comes into these African or Caribbean countries they look at the resource whatever that resource is they extract it and they take that wealth back to their homeland that's appropriation but if you're staying you're you're embedded you're invested you got skin in the game hey you know what to me you're you're I guess quote unquote a brother just like the rest of us right
1: you're 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 building the the culture that you're trying to embrace Mm -hmm. you're not just stealing it for your own personal gain exactly Uh, whatever that gain may be um no and I think that's a it's a it's a great point of view um just thinking about it in this conversation that idea Mm -hmm. of am I am I just doing this to do it because I think it's cool and I'm gonna do it or am I actually doing it as a part of my experience with it That's right. not just not just from it yeah. right and we're going to take a quick break from the show. I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far, but we have to remind you. March 1st is the National Day of Unplugging. You got to download the Lil Space app, L I L Space app from our conversation that we had uh, just a, just a couple of weeks ago with Kim Cavallo. Um, we have partnered with her in her NAT in her Unplug for a Cause campaign, along with an organization called Text Less Live More. Uh, they are a student-led, peer-to-peer national awareness campaign with a mission to end distracted driving uh, to prevent tragic crashes and save lives. Ultimately, for every hour that you unplug through Lil Space app. And, and tag the Text Less Live More More in Common campaign. More in Common will donate a dollar for every hour up to $500 um, to TLLM. So go unplug and don't forget National Day of Unplugging on March 1st, 24 hours for your enjoyment with your family and friends. Of course, you got to keep that phone on for emergency purposes. Hey, we're going to get back to the show now.
2: So I take I, I do take up I do take up issue with
0: with people fronting, right? Um, For those who may not know what fronting frontin is, how would you define? It's, just,
2: it's it's posturing, man. It's posturing as something or someone okay. that you're not, right? Don't front, man. This this is the thing. Like the the, the greatest currency that you could have as an individual is just being yourself you take everything away you take money clothes all that stuff when people only have you know the merit so it's a meritocracy at that point when people only have your merit to judge you upon just be real man just be yourself and people will accept you for yourself and get you know what i say that as a 36 year old man now i had to i had to learn that you know coming up as a teenager myself like where do i fit in you know how do I portray myself? There's there's a whole range of things that we got to work through as young adults and stuff like that. But it gets to a point where you just gotta you just gotta you just gotta understand that the best person that you could be is a person who's who's real, and uh, you know continue to educate yourself and then hopefully um, you know that that exudes a level of respect when you encounter uh, a person who you may not know who could be completely different from you. My other other than other than that you're just playing this this whole front and game and it's yeah right. it's a dangerous place to be in
1: and and you're stealing other people's identities to find your own and it's it's a it's a slippery slope in that respect right and I think uh that's right yeah what do you what do you think about meritocracy
2: um I somewhat wish that the world was based on that but as a realist I know that that's not possible right um if we could try to find a balance between meritocracy and you know what we live in now which is primarily driven by capitalism um you know and maybe maybe we already experienced that in you know first world in first world countries right in in developed countries first world countries where we have democratic process Uh, maybe you already experienced that now I just think that you know we're we're kind of shifting a little bit too much to the true nature of capitalism which which has people um, stepping on on the back of their fellow man right Um, and not looking at rewarding individuals for the great work that they do it's it's more now you know I think we were talking about the, the squeaky wheel getting the grease, is who's able to make the most noise gets the, the, the most credit, right? Um, as opposed to looking at the, the just things that they do and um, again the positive impacts that they're um, that they're making within their community and, and, and really rewarding individuals based on uh, based on those things, right?
0: What is your so you you mentioned realism? And you talked about um, being optimistic and being as optimi- optimistic as possible. What's your take on optimism and realism and pessimism?
2: I mean, optimism is just hoping for something, right? You you have hopes, you have dreams. Um, you stay optimistic that you could achieve them. But, you know, being a realist, you have to understand that not everything that you hope and dream for will come to fruition. Not everything that you plan for will come will come true, Right. Um, but I think it's the, it's part of the human experience to have a little bit of struggle that helps to build character and maybe what you plan for may not happen in five years, but if you continue at it and you learn from your mistakes, it may happen in six, seven or eight years, right? Um, so, I mean, perseverance falls in line with those things. Um.
1: I think that's a I think that's a great example demonstrating the power of optimism rooted in realism, mm-hmm. right? That idea that I I'm going to do everything I can to achieve something and then on the end of the day I have a I have a positive outlook that this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Being realistic that it may not maybe in 5 years, but maybe it will happen in 6 or 7 and continuing down that path of potential positive outcome. Versus pessimism is uh, it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be realistic about it. It's not going to happen. So I'm just not going to do anything about it. Yeah, I've shifted a lot on this.
0: Like I used to think I was a realist, and now I don't think optimism and pessimism are related to realism because. And actually, I'll send you the podcast key. I was just listening to Dr. Mike, uh, the sports psychologist for the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, when people hear optimism and they think it's soft and fluffy. And it's like, oh, I hope the world will be great. Yeah. And he's like, no, it's not it. He's like, optimism is the thing that gets you through the hard shit because everybody has hard stuff. And if you're pessimistic, you have no chance. Mm-hmm. If you don't think you can do it, then you can't. Yeah. You and won't wake like, up and do the hard work that day just to make that day happen, right. which makes it not happen. And it's like the realism thing is like everybody sees the real world, whether or not they acknowledge mm-hmm. it is that's separate what's your mindset when you when you get to that hard spot is the question with optimism realism that's where i've come to it now mm.
1: um but i think I it's st- always I, I still anchor and i wrote a blog about this chance and i still anchor on the general human experience in our society because like you said jansen optimism has this fluffy connotation to it it's like oh you're optimistic and pessimism has this real negative connotation it's like I don't want to be labeled as a pessimist. So, but I'm a realist mm-hmm. instead. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I mean, you know, it's not going to happen. I'm being realistic about it. So why do anything about it? Is a pessimistic attitude and mentality rooted in or disguised as realism because you don't want to be identified as a pessimist. So you'd identify yourself as a realist. Yeah. I mean, it,
2: there's like a little area, a gray area where you could kind of like shift back and forth. Right. Um, way that i look at it um but i mean very good points from from both of you on that one i'd have to take that back i'd like to listen to that podcast actually
0: yeah i'll send it if
2: you're able to send that Mm -hmm. i think i think you know again being a realist is a frame of mind like what what is real right how do you how do you perceive reality um so the reality for the three of us in in this in this room in this virtual room Um, could be dramatically different when we leave this desk, when we leave this, you know, our our house and when we step out on the street. So, you know, the, or, you know, since since it's been a, a frequent topic with some of your previous guests, when it comes to race, the reality a Caucasian male would see when he steps on the street versus a black male when he steps on the street are two totally different things. And because we view it two totally different ways, that would weigh on whether we're optimistic about the day or whether we're pessimistic about the day. You know what I mean? Some would argue, well, you know, because of white privilege and it's the quote unquote white man's world, you got nothing to be pessimistic about. You're always going to be walking around whistling Dixie and being optimistic about the world because you're not worried about being arrested or getting shot, whatever the case is. A black male may be more pessimistic because he always has to think about. Shoot, okay, am I, you know, am I wearing something that's too ominous? Like, should I pull out my pants? Should I not wear this do rag? You know what I mean? Should I not play my music too loud? Like, that's a lot of things to think about. That is like a negative tick on on your psyche, man. Right? So for sure, no. You know, you come out and after when you talk, when you talk about when that black male may give a response, you know, a white friend can say, hey. Keith you could ask Rodney, "Hey Rodney, you want to go down to this this party down the road or this bar down the road?" Rodney might be like, "Nah man, <laughs> like I'm not I'm not stepping up my house." You know what I mean? Like it's it's after dusk right now. Um there's a lot going on. I don't I just don't think it's safe out there. It's like, "Well, why do you have to be such a why do you have to be such a pessimist, man? Like why you got to be so negative? <laughs> we're just going down the street." He's like, "Okay, you think we're just going down the street to this bar?" I see the potential of me losing my life right so so again going back to what we regard as reality would have an impact on whether you're on the optimistic side or the pessimistic pessimistic side when you uh when you when you face that truth
0: I think that's why I separate them because realism is like like what's gonna happen in the world like uh, Dove Davidoff Keith you, I know you love it When I bring up Dove Davidoff He's like Comedian This comedian, comedian That I love he, He's like You know I can't afford To assume That the guy At the bar With the teardrops On his eye <laughs> And the face tattoos And the knife On his belt yeah. Is a nice guy yeah. Like I can't afford To just Assume That he's Gonna be my best friend That's right and, yeah. Cause Cause it can have Real repercussions If you just walk up To that dude Right Like just walk up On him um, that's that's just that's like no matter what your mindset is, like I'm optimistic that this is gonna be good. Like this is this is you gonna still be you good-
1: still have to anchor that idea that's right. in the reality that the variables here. Are pointing to a potential worst, yeah, yeah, you should, yeah. A, a disaster. Doesn't,
2: doesn't, <laughs> it's a downright like, disaster.
0: Optimism doesn't fix the hard situation. It's what gives you the ability to keep going mm-hmm. and apply logic to get you out of the situation right. or right. keep you from getting into the going to the bar with like maybe I don't know like all the bikers that wear like Nazis like swastikas. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if I want to be there. Like I just might not be in my spot.
1: So you talk um, a lot about the the Jamaican influence yeah. um, of your of your heritage. Like the, this Wise Man Collective um, is is a, a a great thing that you're doing for all the reasons that you outlined. Like, what was your inspiration? What growing up? I mean, you said you were estranged from your father, so I'm, I'm curious about how that plays into into all of this for you. <laughs>
2: I mean the the core and essence of it is um, you know me growing up without my father um, as a child like,
0: like at all like, yeah I mean so th-
2: I, I believe three was pretty much the last type of interaction that I had had with him right
0: Do you even remember that
2: Yeah, vaguely, vaguely. There's yeah, it's kind of funny. There's there's some things that I remember as a childhood. You know, you know, at my kids' age now. That I know for a fact was impactful to my very being and my character of who I am. Um, It's like it just got you know layered on to you know to this dough that you know started you know started molding me as a man. But um, yeah, I mean that was a big piece. Me not having my father, me being raised by my grandparents who are traditionally Jamaican Jamaican Christian. Right. Uh, there's there, there's a clear distinction with Jamaican Christians and Rastafarians um, and that's a no, another complexity in itself um, and uh, yeah being a product of my environment right so when you grow up Montreal was a, a interesting time in the 80s and early 90s um, a lot of people don't seem to know the history of of Montreal Montreal was the quote-unquote Mecca of Canada before Toronto um, a huge influx of Caribbean individuals came to Montreal because Montreal was the prosperous city um, uh, I would say in Canada um, for sure on the East Coast or Central to the East Coast but I would probably say Canada as a whole all of our major enterprise organizations were based in Montreal because it was stu- is strategically so um, because they could get the bilingual talent to serve both the west coast and the East Coast right um, the Acadians and all the other francophones and whatnot so it just made business sense on top of that if you look at the history of major cities that are built major cities are always built by a port right so even if you look at New York New York, New York and Montreal are very similar in the sense that they're actually islands, right? They're surrounded by water. The major ports were there. That's where major commerce was. You could say the same with African cities, with European cities, or whatnot. So it just made sense that Montreal had had that helm for the longest time. So you had a you had a huge diaspora of West Indians that that moved there. Um, other French colonies. So you had Lebanon and these are the things that I learned later on in life. I mean, Lebanon, um, I believe was colonized by, by France. Um, if not colonized, there was a huge influence, it was, it was, Fran- it was France, um, even, um, Vietnam, Vietnam was, I believe, colonized French. by, by France as well, which is why you have a lot of French last names in Vietnam. Um, so there was a huge mix, not just Afro, you know, centric but also uh, Middle Eastern um, and Asian that was in this melting pot. As I grew up, you know just through friendship and you know some of the rough experiences that I had, loyalty became a very important thing to me, right? Now I didn't label it as loyalty. I just labeled it as, I want to make sure that I was I particularly was always there for my friends. You know, if we're walking through a particular park and a group of people are going to gang up on us and beat the shit out of us and steal our, you know, our, our gear because you know we're wearing red or whatever the case was, I want to make sure that the person who I ate at the dinner table with, the person whose mother, you know, uh, looked out for me and whatever the case was, that I had his back, and I had I had the same expectation for that person.
0: Real quick on that point, um, '80s Montreal, what were to like what were race relations like
2: um in the city it was i would say it was pretty good i mean other people might have different experiences but in a
0: city but overall i mean it wasn't like la or
2: no i would say I, my experience my experience was the best when i was growing up in montreal when it came to other cultures i uh my my crew at that time I, I used to call them cultural blend, the K-B-Click. We spell culture with a K, or I spell culture with a K. Um, the K-B-Click. So you had West Indians. My best friend was Cambodian. I had a couple of Cambodian friends, um, Vietnamese, Chinese, Lebanese, Egyptian, Pakistani, Indian. Like There's like a ton of us. I, I think, again, 15 or so. And we, we all hung out together. And uh, we learned from each other culturally. We learned from each other just through our own personal experiences. It was it was a beautiful thing. It was guys. It was girls. It was just an awesome mix. It wasn't until I moved to Pickering in Toronto where it was black and white. And that that was actually um, unsettling and foreign to me because that is that is not how I grew up. That wasn't my experience. And you know, when I had to make that decision who I was going to chill with, well, I was like, okay, obviously i'm not you know i'm not gonna chill with all the white guys right because that you know i don't listen to rock they have a totally different experience but i still felt uncomfortable chilling with all the black people because you know i knew that other individuals had more to offer than just me being part of this one group
0: because you look alike yeah what are canadian gun laws i don't i have
2: no idea well right now they're trying to uh, like in, our- in toronto or in ontario they're trying to ban handguns, like outright ban them. And they actually, they're they even talking about making this a national legislature or a national bill. I don't know, man. Like to me, I haven't done much research on it. But again, my opinion is that's not going to solve the problem, right? It's not going to solve the problem because guess what? People already knew they were going to go to jail for having a gun period. I'm pretty sure we even have a law where you get years for each bullet in the clip, right? So that's not stopping anybody from shooting anybody. It's not stopping anybody from killing anybody. So what what would a gun ban do for an individual, you know, who's who's looking to kill somebody? The other the other flip side of it too is I remember back in the day, so even when we had low uh low gun violence i bet you if you looked at the statistic of knife violence like how many people got stabbed by a knife um or killed by a knife i'm pretty sure that would have been pretty high it's it's kind of like you know it's it's reciprocal in a sense
1: where people if it's not guns are gonna it's do knives are gonna it, do. that's exactly it now so do you think that's a justification though Do you think that's a justified argument? No, it's not. To 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 keep keep guns. No,
2: it's not a justified argument. But it it's it's supposed to be an argument to force us to look at the root problem. Why do these Mm -hmm. individuals want to go and harm somebody to that degree? Right. There's a there's a social there's something socially constructed that's affecting these individuals to want to harm a fellow human being, particularly someone someone that looks like themselves, because. You know the statistics keep flying that most of the violence that you see, they say black and black violence. But if you go into an impoverished white community, there's white people killing themselves too. So I don't white right. So it's kind of like it begs a question: What what circumstance are these people in that they want to kill somebody that looks like themselves, right? Or somebody that they will call a brother one minute and then call a nigga the next minute and want to kill him? You understand? So again, it's not it's not to justify having guns. Guns are an inanimate, inanimate object. It's not going to go off and just kill somebody randomly, right? Somebody has to pick it up, and have that 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 true disdain and and uh, and hate for somebody to want to just end their life in a split of a second.
1: So, is your point um, then, in essence, to be careful? To not conflate the issues, exactly. In other words, the gun. Because I, I would argue, like I, I agree, the issue is deeper, and it sounds to me like you. And I think we would all agree poverty is a big issue for that, mm-hmm. right? When you feel slighted, when you feel economically disenfranchised, or you, you in inequality, especially at an economic scale or a material scale. Is a really strong motivator for for violence, especially when someone feels helpless in their ability to affect that circumstance. Mm-hmm. So they go out and they do something, whether it's black on black, white on white, doesn't matter, right? Um, but but the point being is poverty and economic disparity, you know, kind of going back to this concept of meritocracy and in this idea of. It's strip it all away. The merit that you put forward is based on your contribution to the culture. And what we've ultimately done is created this ecosystem that values contribution differently. Um, it doesn't matter if you work three jobs that contribute to people. You may be a clerk at a retail store. You may be a hamburger flipper at McDonald's. And you may to answer phone calls at a call center because you need to make as much money as you can to support your family, we socially have said that is a lower merit system and thus you are not able to be in any sense of equality. Capitalism would say, well, everybody contributes differently. I look at my job and trust me, I don't work as hard as someone who does that, yet I somehow contribute more because of what purpose, what 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 background on that right and in redefining what that looks like which is a really deep hard conversation discussion challenge of rules and norms where guns tend to just be the easy thing to talk about um, and and I and I and I, I hear I, I like I like where you're going with that as it relates to that because I do think guns are a symptom. It's like I'd rather someone approach me with a knife than with a gun because at the very least I have an opportunity to hit him with a stick. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah.
2: I mean that's that's the other piece of it is people would say well they would prefer to have a society of knives because. You know the the damage isn't as extensive. I mean, you can't you can't just kill fifteen twenty people in five seconds with a knife, right? Right. Yes, we get that. But again, you got to look at what is the what is the true issue? What is the true underlying problem um, that drives an individual to do something so heinous? You know what I mean?
1: You can't you can't replace one for the other. You have to talk about you. If you're going to talk about it, talk about the root cause. Don't just say guns are the problem. That's right yeah but if we just it's talk about point. guns then we don't have to get to the problem ever mm. it's interesting that it's like um, talking about kneeling versus talking about racial injustice right
2: exactly yeah. it's All all of this is just deflection right it's deflection
1: what
0: you just said keith um it's kind of like what we've done to people no it's exactly like what we've done to people is the same thing capitalism does to money like there not all money is equal there are different types of money there's m1 m2 three like there's different types of money, and they are valued differently at different points. And, um, yeah, I just just thought of that while you were talking. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. I want to get your thoughts on me too, and that that movement. And because I I recently heard Dame Dash talk about it, and he he was like, "We're we're at a place right now where like men just need to shut up." Like men just need to sit back and just like we need to take it because we, we need to listen it, because exactly. women have been um, mistreated like like forever basically it, exactly and so we just need to like he's like it doesn't matter if if you feel like your feelings are hurt because a woman says whatever or there's a new Me Too case it's like we we need to overcorrect in order to get to a place that we are
2: well right. not not overcorrect. You have to be careful in saying that because overcorrection would mean that we're we're running like a Amazonian society, right? Where women are just running everything and m- mating with men and then killing them after they're done. You know what I mean? That's that's an overcorrection.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> that, that's not the do
2: need <laughs> to. We do need to correct it and the best way is to, yeah, is to listen. So the thing is, this all comes down to a relinquishing of power, right? It's no different than, you know, uh, individuals who built their wealth via white supremacy, and when you see minorities, never mind blacks but blacks would be the would be the ultimate case, yes, but minorities in general sure. when you see minorities on a come up and they feel threatened that they 're coming for that throne they 're not going to want to relinquish that power so easily, so there 's going to be a heavy resistance to it Sim- same thing here in in a male dominated society, no man Who's able? Who's who's living prosperously just by being a man, and and living the spoils of being a man is going to want to listen to the person that they've been subjugating and um uh, and and you know and um, holding down. They're not going to want to listen to that person and hear their pain and and hear what they went through. They they don't have time, right? They don't have time. They don't care to hear about the things. But the 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 truth of the matter is, we do need to listen to. You know to our our women right of what they went through and we need to correct the way that we treat them we need to correct our behavior now some of it some of it you know we didn't know about right I'm there's some foul shit that used that I used to do when I was growing up as a young kid Mm -hmm. a lot of that had to do with the fact that again I didn't have a proper male role model to truly treat teach me how to treat a woman I had my grandfather. I saw how my grandfather treated my grandmother. Saw, right? And what I saw my grandfather do was—he um, has to be credited for for instilling a lot of great values and traits in myself. He was always supportive of my grandmother. He was, he cooked in the household. He cleaned, and when I say clean, like meticulously scrubbed floors, all this other stuff. This was this is stuff that was deemed to be, uh, you know, for women. Right, women's domesticated work. My grandfather did that. My grandfather would sweat cleaning toilets, right? Because to him, you know, being part of a man is to keep your household, right, and to contribute to the to the to the um, to the chores of a household, and not to just put it on on a woman. Particularly in today's society, what a woman works too, right? But my grandfather did not have any sex talk with me. My grandfather didn't talk to me about dating. He didn't talk to me about any of these things that people would consider to be a rite of passage between a father and a son. We did not have any of those talks. So a lot of the stuff that I learned about women is off the streets and I'm learning and I'm learning from other kids, no, no younger or older than myself. You know what I'm saying? So like that in itself, you know, it, it, it took me through uh, many years of womanizing that, I thought was normal i thought was right because i just saw everybody else doing it i saw the gallus doing it and for those of you who don't know a gallus is a westernian way of saying a player right so just how how you have a pianist a scientist a scientist uh a egyptologist right you have a gallus which is <laughs> you know a specialist in girls <laughs> right in girls okay so i saw gallus i saw you know uh other individuals acting this way. And I just thought it was normal going. If I go back to my father, my father had four sons, me included with four different women. So what I knew of my father was he was a gallus. Well, I'm a gallus by blood, right? Like I'm going to mm-hmm. womanize and so on and so forth. So, but that behavior, I had to learn from strong women. One of them, particularly being my wife. I had to learn from, from her, that that behavior is unacceptable and that's not how you treat people right um so there's 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 some self-correction that i had to do in that regard so going back on the topic of the me too movement and and correction and whatnot men themselves have to shut up let women vent let women talk about the experiences let women just take us through what they went through or how we made them feel so that we could try to empathize as much as possible, it, the minimum sympathize, but we have to try to empathize, try to put yourself in their shoes and understand that the, the, the conduct, you know, the, the verbal interaction, the, the physical, um, you know, uh, interaction with women was, was unacceptable and disgusting in probably 80 to 90% of our conduct when it came to women
1: sure there's um so we talk a lot about representation this ties into wise men and prior conversations that we've had on the show and and now talking about me too and there's this interesting thing happening um culturally Mm -hmm. uh, across the world especially but you know western cultures in particular when you look at the history of society uh, rooted very much in uh, religious teachings. Mm, yeah. So, a lot of imagery that anchors on certain behaviors, certain representations, certain ability to diversify experience mm-hmm. for white men. Mm-hmm. And w- listening to you talk, and this isn't something I'd really thought about before, about everything that's happening right now and all of the conversations that we have, when you talk about wise men, it's not about representing black men as a particular thing. Mm-hmm. It's about representing black men as they are in their differences in individuality. When we talk to Alana, it's about representing black people in a, imi- in a, in a, in a way represented by images that historically white people have. Ultimately, it comes down to this, this idea that as a white man in particular – if I look at anything, I can see representation of anything that I would want to be. Mm-hmm. From bottom to top, middle, however you want to frame it. Side Deity, to left, all the way down. All the way down. W- women have been subjugated for millennia by the church, by society, whatever the case. Hell, in the United States, they couldn't vote until 1920. Um, Minorities have been subjugated for for millennia in slavery and in Jim Crow in the United States uh, across the board. You look at apartheid in South Africa. It's been this divide. And what I love about what you're doing with wise men in that mission and everything that we talk about with Me Too is it is important for those in power, whether they're men of all races or whether they are white men against all people to sit back and pay attention that this, this image of reality that we have all been taught to believe is the way it should be the way we should act the way we should dress the way we should talk the way we should hierarchically represent is false it is not real it is manifested it's a construct. By, 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 by white men. It's a construct by the conquerors, right? People, that's it. And that sitting back, listening, shutting up, paying attention, that other people exist here that feel that same way you do, and you need to let them represent themselves in the way that they are, not telling them they need to be the way that you
0: are there are two things that bother me like when it comes to me too and racism like the two phrases that bother me the most are oh well oh he you know that that was his generation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that 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 comment yeah. means you when can't you, learn so you call somebody like oh well you know bob was bob was patting all the women on his on their asses in the office it's like well that was just the time it's like no no that's not a reply like that is it's not, not a justification an yeah
2: for his behavior you can
1: learn like Like you're a human being you can learn you can open your minds you can create empathy you can you can build and develop and grow as an individual and the one for me
0: too is um i've heard a lot of men say like well the the comment varies but it's 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 basically about the statute of limitations like well how far back can we go and talk about this like can we open like for instance bill cosby like can we open it back up like um is there a statute of limitations mm-hmm. on this and and they're kind of saying it in a legal sense but they're really saying it in a cultural sense like well like if we can talk about his shit can we talk about my shit and I'm like yes we can like it's not off the table like if you did it it is real like it happened and and you and you can't like you can run away mm-hmm. from it I guess or avoid it but that doesn't mean it didn't happen and those things bother me and I think there's a like I I've had a moment I heard somebody talk about it, and then after I heard him talk about it, I've noticed the moment where a woman said something that bothered her that another man said. Thankfully, it wasn't me. Another man said it, and I, my immediate thought, my immediate reaction was to jump to defend him. I didn't know him, and the comment was not defensible. But I was like, "Oh, it wasn't that bad." And then I real, and, and it's like this thing we do because we're part, like we're part of the group of men, so it's like. If you're attacking him, you're attacking me mm-hmm. is, is the immediate reaction I had. And it's like, no, like let that go, bro. Like <laughs> it's not about you, for one, like get off your ego. And for two, like, like listen. Like, what did she say? That just offended her. Like, why okay, that's not an acceptable that's not an acceptable way to say something or treat somebody in a conversation. So like let's learn from it. And I think I think mm-hmm. we need a whole bunch of men to like fill that moment. And, and hear that moment when they when they feel that tug like oh but I'm a man it's like nah man let that go for a second listen to what she's saying
2: the, the whole thing that people have to understand is that you you have to be as objective so remove yourself from the situation as much as possible it's not going to be a hundred percent perfect it's not it's not going to be you know uh something that everyone could do but you have to try to think of things objectively in order for yourself to put you, you know to relate and to uh hopefully come to some sort of common commonality with the person across from you otherwise If you stay in your subjective stance, all you're doing is holding on to the same baggage that you've accumulated over the years of your life, Um, and that baggage just gets it just builds a wall and gets in the way of the dialogue that you should be having with an individual who's saying something that probably isn't as offensive as you think it is, right? For the most part, anyway.
1: So, so Jansen, we have to wrap up for time, but as I mean. Pleasure, man. It's it's great yeah, to reconnect you. with you. It's um it's it's you awesome. Got a sharp mind, man. Thank you. Yes, you, you do. Thank I you I, for I hope
2: I us. gave you guys some some good nuggets, man. Like I said, I'm I'm a rambler, but um, you know, I I believe in what I say, and, and I hope that some individuals could learn from from our dialogue. I appreciate you guys for for inviting me here. I think we had a great conversation.
1: With that being said, uh, as we like to ask everybody, what's one thing? If if you had everybody's one hundred percent undivided attention, what's one thing that you would want to leave with our audience that they can take with them? Oh wow! Um, just be open minded. Be open minded. Don't
2: be afraid to to reach across. They say reach across, reach across the aisle, right? So don't hesitate to learn from somebody who's different from you. Um, you may not agree with with you know their their thoughts uh, with all their viewpoints but I guarantee you, you'll learn something that you'll incorporate for yourself that you did not know before. So, you know, get over that fear, reach over the aisle, talk to somebody completely different and, um, you know, live life and be prosperous, man.